Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Natalia, and we are in a brand new series called Transformed, in which we'll talk about seven key areas of our life. So we're back in conversation with Pastor Jeremy. So let's get into the content for today. Good morning, Natalia. Thank you so much for getting us started with this second part. I'm looking forward to not only the answers, but when people begin to process that and raise further questions, get deeper, think deeper, we become eternal beings because we begin to perceive and interpret our life in the light of eternity. And that's when it really gets meaningful and purposeful. One of the most important aspects you delved into was quiet time. As basic information as this is, we already know its importance. But you did mention that it's very important to start your morning with it. A lot of times we just begin our day just hurrying. Most of the time we're getting late to reach an appointment, to our job interviews, to our work, school, etc. You said morning. Is there a reason why? Today is today, our day, our present it's important, but when today is placed in the in the eye of eternity, in the heart of eternity, then that's when we begin to understand who we are and uh, what we're accomplishing with today, if you know what I mean. And that's where it becomes very important to understand, to download and to receive from God instruction for our day, instruction for our lives, for our relationships, for what we have said, should say, will say. So the Taking us back to the context of why we even brought up quiet times back in the sermon on Sunday was that we are not just to put God first or to make him our first go-to, but we are also to receive from him instruction. That's where we talked about this. So you asked the question, why should it be in the morning? Well, because you wake up in the morning and your day starts in the morning. Biblically, the day starts at night. You begin with the night and joy comes in the morning, the light comes in the morning and the cycles of day. But that's more a calendar and a nature thing. But for you and me, our day starts in the morning. Our calendar begins with the morning as we wake up. When we wake up, what is the first thing we think about? Whose is the first voice we listen to? What is the first activity that we give our mind, our soul, our body to? What do we consider most important? And some would even give us conventional wisdom that, you know, cortisol is very high in the mornings as you wake up. So when you do wake up, you want to be quiet, you want to meditate, you want to set yourself apart and not go straight into hurrying and burying and whatnot, right? So let's say that's the conventional wisdom, the street wisdom, that's that's the human wisdom part of it. Then there is the divine wisdom where in our meditation, in our being quiet, cutting off from everybody, starting the day in quietness and confident trust, we spend time with the Lord and we download instruction, day-to-day, step-by-step instruction for the day. Now, is the Lord going to tell us what to do at three o'clock and seven o'clock? I don't mean that. I mean that God will tell us what could possibly come up this this day. We see it in the scriptures. God speaks to us through the character studies. He speaks to us through his promises, through his, his, uh, his warnings, That's how you begin to be prepared. You don't decide how God will prepare you. You let God do that. But when you sit there, your Bible open, staring at the text, being quiet, cutting off from social media, cutting off from all other influences, turning off the voices and the volumes of the world to allow God's voice to become the primary voice and the loudest volume in your head, in your heart, that's when you give God a chance. Not that you have to give God a chance, but... That's when you give him a chance, when you you let him in. Because 
You are still the proprietor of your heart and mind, your sanctum, your inner chambers. You are still the, the, the one who allows God in there. And he will not barge in. When you do that, when you spend time with his word and you begin to think his thoughts, think his thing, and respond to him, that's true prayer, good prayer. Prayer that is responsive to what God is just saying rather than ignore what he has said and walk away. That's when you begin to experience the benefits of your quiet time, your devotional time. You ask two questions. Number one, the importance of quiet time. You need instruction from God. Number two, why in the morning? Because your day starts in the morning and you want to start with getting clarity, getting instruction, getting healing. You don't want to allow any dirt, any gunk, any, what do I call it, any stuff from yesterday to flow over into today. You don't want that. You want a new day. You want a new start. And God gives you that new start. That's why the evening and morning were the first day. I would say Bible, notebook, wait, waiting for instruction from God. Okay, that made a lot of sense, especially just the terms downloading instruction for the day and, you know, carrying forward old baggage from the day to the next day. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much. Another extremely important concept you spoke about was the whole thing about grieving through a loss of an opportunity, of a dear one, a relationship or even a habit. So just a few thoughts on how exactly do we grieve and how soon is too soon how would you actually move on? And is moving on even okay? What about the guilt that comes with, suppose you move on, how soon is too soon to that? How would you celebrate someone while grieving, whether it's celebrating a promotion that you should have got, but now you have to celebrate that with your colleague, be happy for him or her, or celebrate a child's birthday, a close friend's birthday, while you're still reeling from the hurt and pain of a loss? Yeah, that was another huge theme that came up in that sermon, especially when we think about physical health. It is so telling on our health when our mind and heart are not in tune. Grieving is critical to emotional health, to physical health. But let me begin by saying this. The cost of not grieving is greater. When you do not grieve, when you do not process what you have lost or what you have feared, then it's going to be replaced. And you know what it gets replaced by? Resentment. Today I lost an opportunity. I resent it. It's so minuscule, you don't actually record it. But your body records it. Your heart records it. And that's just one small thing. So big deal. You can sleep it off. And we've been sleeping off a lot of little ones. And it's been piling up. And suddenly you find yourself 34, 35. You find yourself 61, 62. And you're resentful. You're upset. You have a short fuse. You're not able to take certain things. Your body or your mind sort of sends a signal of warning before you get into a commitment or you take a commitment from somebody or you hear certain words people said and they remind you, they trigger those many times that you suffered loss or that you associate with loss. But you never grieved it, so you are now a resentful person. You don't like it when I say you're a resentful person. I don't like it either. But we are not that purposely. We become that. And we become that when we don't grieve. Now, here's the problem. When something drastic happens, a loss of a loved one in death, in sickness, cancer, some tragedy, you know, natural or otherwise, the whole world comes to your aid. Everybody understands. People give you a day off. You're able to kind of recognize it and, and people will stand and recognize it with you. Because it's a human loss. It's a, it's a corporate loss in many cases. 
What about when it's just your loss? When it's just you and nobody else thinks it's a loss. They don't really think it. They'll use phrases like there's a lot of fish in the sea. There's, they'll use phrases like there are many more opportunities. There's always a tomorrow. These quips that people think will make you feel better, but they don't. And like I said, if you don't grieve it, either you become angry or you become resentful. And a lot of times no one knows the difference between those two. Grieving is very important, even more so with smaller things. I'm not talking about losing a pen, although sometimes I grieve that too. But when something is your favorite and you lose it, even a favorite seat in church, when something is familiar to you, it was your comfort, it had become your comfort, somebody else took it, or you don't have that anymore, or it's gone, stop, think about it. You don't have to cry, but stop, think about it, and let it go. Tell yourself, I had it. It was great while I had it. I don't have it anymore. It's sad. Ask yourself how you feel. Express to yourself how you feel. Say, I'm really ticked off about this, or whatever colorful words you normally use. Just say to yourself, that's really bad. That sucks. I, I don't like that. And if you want to commit a little time to it, not the whole week, commit a little time to thinking through that, okay? A loss of an opportunity. A job loss is usually something that comes that close. Or when you had a potential with a person for a relationship or for a partnership, and you lost that because of somebody else overtaking you, you feel stepped on, stepped over. Those are losses. Those are real losses. And my friend, your losses are real losses. Nobody else will know that. But you know who does? God does. And God doesn't think very big of it because he already knows what plans he has for you. So he's smiling quietly in the background. But you are going through it, and he gives you the margin to stop, consider that a loss, and move on. There are other losses like failing a year in school. There are other losses like losing time or falling sick for four weeks and falling back in your work. These are, these are losses. These are very real losses. And people will just say, oh, that's life. I'm not saying sit and cry about it. I'm saying give some time about it so you don't cry about it for a longer period of time. Or much later you're crying and you don't know why. This is when you need to nail it, when you still remember what you lost. And you stop, you say, God, it sucks that that happened, but I, nail, I give it over to you. Would you replace it? And it reminds you, here's the last thing I'm going to say about this. It reminds you that that's not, life, that's not all you have in life. There's more to life than that. And when you empty your hands, God fills it with something. When you move on, God fills it with something. When you let go, God gives you something else. But as long as you're holding on, it's not going to work for you. So that's what I think I was uh, referring to. And there is so much more we can talk about this because then it starts getting practical. It starts getting specific, starts getting personal. And if you have more questions about this, send in your questions, but grieve. Let me say this as well. The scriptures are very poignant when it comes to emotions. I mean, you got the Psalms, you got the Proverbs, you got all of these others where the book of Philippians, joy, etc. So we have this cycle where there's mourning and then joy comes in the morning. There's mourning and then joy comes in the morning. There's grieving. The Bible says it's better to mourn with those who mourn. Why? Better to mourn with those who mourn. Does God want us all to sit around and just cry? No, he's saying face it, man. Face it. 
God wants you to face mourning because this is the only life you'll ever have in, with mourning. Once you step into eternity, there's joy evermore. Joy evermore. So what, what does God see that comes from purposeful mourning, purposeful grieving with others, learning to do life with others? What comes from that? We need to study that. We need to figure out what, what we're gaining from it and not just sweep it under the carpet, as my parents used to say, and not deal with it. That's important. Okay, so looks like grieving sometimes, or for the most part, is not really a one-time thing. Uh, my next question with regard to this would be, does that involve any forgiveness? Oh, absolutely. Because everything is somebody's fault, right? So yeah, you have to forgive. But before you do forgive, just check which throne you're sitting on. And make up your mind, or, or, or ask God, the source of our truth, whether you are in any position to forgive at all. And if you are, then ask him for the forgiveness with which you will forgive. Did you hear what I just said? Ask him for the forgiveness with which you will forgive. He will give you that. He will give you the forgiveness and you forgive with that. Forgive. Don't, don't dig your own heart up. Don't, don't search within your being. Find it within yourself to forgive others. You, got, you don't have it. You and I do not have it. So don't, don't, don't waste a day, you know, rummaging through that garbage bin. Go straight to God, who is a source of forgiveness, and he will allow you, give you the ability to forgive. Sometimes you need to forgive yourself. That's probably the hardest. We struggle the most to forgive ourselves because we sit in judgment. Remember that forgiving, in order to forgive, you have to sit in judgment. So please check your throne. Then check your capacity. Where is it coming from? Do you have enough to forgive? And number three, when you have forgiven, release. Don't rehearse, release. When you have released it, you don't bring it up again. Because if you've paid that bill, if you've paid that debt, tear the bill up. It's just practical. Are you still going to feel the pain of it a little while? Yeah, do that. Have a good cry. Do that. And I'm talking about middle things, not very small things and not very big things. Go to God for the bigger ones, but middle things where we feel we're just stuck. That's where you got to forgive and move on. So forgiveness comes when the loss that you have experienced is somebody's fault. Either it is someone else's fault, or it is your fault, or in most cases, it's God's fault, apparently. So do you forgive God? Mm, think about that one. Just think about that one. If forgiveness is trusting the outcome in God's hands, then to quote or to say the words, I forgive you, Lord, would be very wrong because God does not sin against anyone. But to say, Lord, I leave the outcome to you. I leave the outcome to you. I think you could have handled it. I think you could have changed the circumstances. You could have kept me from being abused. You could have kept me from being hurt or robbed. You could have kept me from failing. Sometimes we hold God in the, the meta-narrative, in the grand scheme of things, we hold him accountable because he had the power to do what he could do. But in his wisdom, he decided against that. Not that you're forgiving, but that you're letting it go. So if forgiveness is letting go, then let it go and trust the outcomes to God. Because the big thing, I was just talking about this with my son this morning, the big thing with God is not so much capacity, but time. There's something about the way God works that is time-based. He works within time and in his time. And that never sits with us. My goodness, it, it almost never sinks with our timeline. So God's going to give it time and you're going to have to wait it out. 
And during that period of time, while you are forgiving, while you're forgiving yourself, while you're in the process of forgiving others, while you're healing from the from the forgiveness you have doled out, how do you experience joy? When, you, when you're grieving, how do you experience joy? Because your kid's birthday is going to come up. Somebody is going to be thrilled that they just got engaged and show you their wedding ring. And you're just going to stand there with your constipated smile and you're just trying to, but right in your heart, you're like, you know, I don't really want to celebrate. You have to. You have to. And I'll tell you why. Because life is a set of rails. It's got joy and sorrow all the time. All the time. You are to be joyful and sorrowful at the same time, all the time. Deal with it. The moment you have learned how to do both, that you can be joyful, laugh with those who are laughing, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and you're able to sorrow with those who are sorrowing, uh, mourn with those who are mourning. When you're able to do that, we call you grown up. We call you mature. And you know what maturity, another word for maturity is? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's love. You put away childish things. You become mature. Love allows you to mourn with the mourning and joy rejoice with those who are joyful. Can you party while you are mourning? Yes, you can. Can you mourn while you are rejoicing in something? That is, yes, you can. And again, this is the only time you have. You have a few decades, then it's going to be all rejoicing in heaven. So learn the strength from God that comes to be able to do that. Do you know that God's heart, and I'm just preaching here, I'll admit it, but you know that God's heart is constantly in rejoicing and constantly in mourning. Like, Every moment he's bringing somebody back to himself. And the Bible says, heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. Okay, so there's a party happening. And while the angels are partying all around and there's, you know, R&B music playing and everything's grooving, at the same time, his heart aches for the millions and millions who are not back with him yet. He knows time is running out. He can see Satan at work. So God deals, God lives, God exists with both those, morning and rejoicing at the same time. And he shares that heart with you. He shares that heart with you. So that's how you deal with life. Wow, those are some amazing thoughts. And if you guys have any stories or questions with regard to this, we would love to hear from you. That's all for today. And thank you so much for tuning in with us. If there's anything you could relate to, let us know by writing at bscjeremy at gmail.com and share it with someone you know. 